This is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to pick up in verse 21. Jesus is talking to all of his disciples. And he says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar, and go. First, be reconciled with your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid the last cent. So let me start. Don't raise your hands or anything, but how many of you in here have ever just been done wrong? I said, don't raise your hands. All right. But if I said, do raise your hands and ask that question, every hand in this room could go up. I'm sure of that, right? Because who hasn't been? Um, yeah. We've all been betrayed. And here's the, the, the worst thing about betrayal is it never comes from your enemies. It only comes from people that you trusted. How can your enemy betray you? You expect him to do you wrong, right? But you don't expect your father, your mother, your wife, your kids, your best friend, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin. You don't expect your fellow church member. You don't expect them to do you wrong, but they do. It happens. And it's ugly. But Jesus deals with that. He says that we need to be careful with our anger. Now, I'm going to read another passage of Scripture right quick, also from Matthew chapter 5. I'm sorry, not Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter uh, 21. <clears throat> Starting in verse 12, it says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a robber's den. Now close your Bibles. Let me ask you something. What did Jesus do next? No, he was already angry, right? It doesn't really say what Jesus did immediately thereafter, right? Let me tell you what he didn't do. He didn't hold a grudge. We never hear him address this issue again anywhere in Scripture. We have the cleansing of the temple. It's written for us in, in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John. Jesus was righteously angry. 
because what was happening was they were in the court of the Gentiles, which there was a gate that entered Jerusalem that went into this court, and it was the outermost court of the temple, and it was the Passover time, and so hundreds of thousands of people were coming to visit Jerusalem, and the court of the Gentiles were as far into the temple as most of them could go. The next court in was the court of Jewish women. The next court beyond that was the court of Jewish men. So Jewish women could go a little bit closer to the holy of holies where God lived. Right? But the Gentiles were on this outermost court of the temple. And they were coming from a long way away. They were coming from Italy. They were coming from Greece. They were coming from Spain. They were coming from all over the place, traveling a long way to get to the temple so they could worship God at the Passover. And what's happening? People are entering into Jerusalem, carrying all their wares. They've got donkeys and oxen, and they're selling animals. And there's money changers there, and there's, you know, all this chaos has taken place in the court of the Gentiles. And here amongst all of that, these Gentiles who traveled for days or weeks just to get there are trying to kneel down and pray. And they're having to kneel down in the manure of the oxen and the donkeys. And they're being taken advantage of by the very people who are supposed to be representing the God that they are there to worship. And that angered Jesus. And he said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And look at these folks. They're kneeling down in manure trying to pray. And what are you doing? You're taking full advantage of them. You don't even care. So righteous anger has a place. Right? But it's a deadly, deadly thing for us. Because remember, after all of that, we never hear Jesus mention that again. Jesus didn't run off and hold that grudge. Jesus was a forgiving person. He pointed out the wrongs, but he forgave. Now, I'm not Jesus and neither are you. Let me just put that out there. It's not easy for us. I'm not saying it was easy for him. I'm sure it wasn't. But listen, folks, when we get done wrong, when somebody's out to hurt us, we get angry. When someone's out to hurt our families, we get angry. You know, I mean, what links would you go to to protect yourself or your family from some sort of unnecessary pain and suffering? You'd go a long way to do that, wouldn't you? So when someone is trying to inflict that pain, be it emotional, spiritual, mental, physical, whatever, when someone is trying to inflict that pain on you or people that you love, you have a right to be angry. But you can't leave that unchecked. Because as powerful as that makes you feel, and we do feel powerful, when we're like, ah, you know, you get the big incredible Hulk syndrome going, right? <sighs> when you're holding a grudge and you feed that, 
when you let that fester, if you will, that's probably a better way. You know, because even if we don't feed it, if we don't dwell on it, if we don't think, oh, what can I do to make myself, you know, really want to get back at this person? Even if I don't actively feed it, if I just leave it alone, if I try to ignore it, it festers like a bad wound. Right? And it breeds contempt. Right? Contempt, left unchecked, continues to fester. It breeds into hatred. And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5. Anyone who is angry with his brother is guilty of murder, says Jesus. That's pretty serious, right? The Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, you're already guilty. Now, again, there is a place for righteous anger. But there's no place for a righteous grudge. There's no place. We cannot be righteously vengeful. That's where that stops, right? There's a limit to it. And look, I'm not saying this is easy, right? It's not. It is hard to forgive someone who has wronged you. Because again, betrayal never comes from your enemies, right? It comes from the people that love you or that you love. But Jesus says, listen, if you let this go unchecked, you are guilty of breaking the commandment that says you shall not murder because murder doesn't begin with the act even more another great example is you shall not commit adultery well nobody gets up in the morning and says i think i'll just go commit adultery today right no it never starts there it starts with a thought oh hey she's good looking you know then you have a conversation then that goes further, and days and weeks pass, and you continue to allow that to grow and fester. Then, suddenly you're committing the actual act of adultery, right? Murder is the same way. It, you, it's, it, it comes from a festering anger and grudge. And Jesus says, we can't do that. Listen, the best way I could, yeah, the best modern-day phrase, and probably you've said it, but even if you haven't said it, you've certainly heard somebody say it. Oh, them? They're dead to me. What does that sound like? Does that come out of love? Or does that come out of deep contempt and grudge and hatred? Right? They're dead to me doesn't mean I killed them. In my mind, I have. They may as well. I may as well kill them. They're dead to me. Well, what if God had said that? Who has been more wronged by people who are supposed to love him than God? 
Who has more right to carry a grudge than God? But God doesn't, does he? God forgives. And God does something that it's pretty much impossible for us to do. Um, but it's something to strive for. When God forgives us, the scripture says he puts our sin as far away as what? The east is from the west, right? Now that's in the Old Testament. And if, you know, if I had a globe, I would show it to you. You've, you've all seen them, though, the lines of latitude and longitude. Now that was, east is from the west was written, I'm just guessing, centuries before latitude and longitude was invented. Right? But if I start walking north, and I just keep walking north, and I never stop walking north, I'm going to get to where? The North Pole. And if I'm standing on the actual North Pole, the only direction I can step on my next step is south. I can't go any further north. My next step, has, no matter what direction, is south. Now, once I've taken that step, I can go east and west. But the first step could only be south. But if I start walking west, I can walk west forever. And I can keep walking west. And as long as I'm walking west, I will never hit east. East and west never meet. That's how far God puts our sin away from us. It's gone. Now when somebody wrongs us, it's possible for us to forgive them. It's much more difficult for us to put it as far away as the east is from the west. But again, that's what God does. And that's, you know, that's the goal we're after, right? So, therein lies the first part of this sermon. I would call it our problem, right? Our problem is when you stop and you really examine yourself, who are you holding a grudge against? What resentments do you have in your life? What envy, what jealousy, what contempt, what, what of these things are you holding on to? But there is an answer. Our need. We have a problem and we have a need. We need to break those bonds. You know, I was teaching in my uh, Sunday school class this morning out of First Peter, and, you know, I, I told them, I said, you know, I, I got the idea for this sermon about three weeks ago, and I, you know, and I took some notes, and I, you know, worked on it a little bit here and there, you know, but then, surprise, surprise, today's verse from First Peter that we studied, you know, lined up just about perfectly. You know, I'm not going to go back and rehash that particular verse, but basically Peter says, you know, take all slander and envy and malice and put it aside. Get rid of it because it is building a wall between you and experiencing God. 
It's a wall of your own building that stands between you and the God who loves you and the God you are supposed to love and you are building a wall and saying, I would rather have this anger. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Pastor, I see you looking it up there. <laughs> okay. Um, so this anger, this you know, and, and listen, I'm asking you to examine yourself, right? Examine yourself. You know, maybe it's an ex-wife, an ex-husband. Maybe it's a kid who's denied you. Maybe it's, you know, a parent who did you wrong. They may be dead. And you could still be holding a grudge. Right? It's hard to get over. Look, folks, we've let this stuff fester for years, sometimes decades. And it's just festering, and it's growing, and it's nasty. And it stands between us and fully experiencing God. All right, so back to Matthew chapter 5 right quick. I'm going to look at... Um, Let's see, what was I going to look at? Verses 38 to 42. Jesus continues in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Now you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. <sighs> That's our need, folks. Jesus goes back in this sermon on the mount and he says, the Old Testament law says an eye for an eye. And that sounds pretty vengeful, does it not? What does it not say? It doesn't say a life for an eye. It doesn't say two legs for an eye. So even in the Old Testament, this limiting of vengeance, if you will, actually shows us where to start with mercy. Because we can't go further than has been gone against us, even in the Old Testament under the eye for the eye law. Right? But Jesus is saying, hey, that's what it says. It says an eye for an eye, but here's what I'm telling you. And he goes on to give three examples. I'll just stand and talk about one of them. It says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. You know, we can sort of more easily understand the other. You know, if someone sues you and wants your tunic, give them your cloak also, right? I mean, you know, you can sort of see that analogy. But a lot of people don't understand what this go with them one mile or go with them two means. Well, uh, Israel was under Roman occupation at the time. And one of the laws the, Roman had, the Romans had was a soldier could grab any person in Israel and give them his load, his pack, his whatever he was having to carry, and make that person carry it one mile for him. And they knew to the inch 
where that mile was. And they hated the Romans. And so when they had to carry this Roman guy's stuff, they would go up to that point and they would stop. And they would give it back. That's as far as you can make me go. Jesus says, go with them too. Now, if you are forced, if you will, to help your enemy, right, even by going with them one mile, that's hard on us, right? That, that ooh, man, I don't want to help my enemy. Right? I mean, gosh, Troy, you're saying, don't be angry with him. Let's get rid of this anger. That's one thing. But, Troy, it's a whole different thing if you're telling me i got to help him. Hey, it ain't me. Talk to Jesus. What did he say? He said, take that guy's pack, and when you get to the mile, you just keep on walking and look at his jaw drop. You know? And when you get to two miles, you say, it's been my pleasure. You know? That's not a testament to you. That's a testament to God. Because you would never do that. You would never go out of your way to help somebody that persecutes you that you hate. You wouldn't do it. But God says, go with him two miles. God says, get rid of that anger and that hate. What good does it do you to hate this soldier who's making you tote his stuff? What are you gaining by hating him? Certainly, what are you benefiting the kingdom of God by hating him? You're benefiting the kingdom of God nothing by hating him. God's not gaining there. You're not gaining there. The soldier's not gaining there. But if you show him love and you go twice as far as you're required to go in order to show love to this guy that persecutes you, maybe, just maybe, he will see God in you. Folks, you've heard it said before, Wow, that's almost like quoting Jesus. Um, you've heard it said before, you, you may be the only Bible somebody ever reads. A lot of people who say, well, I don't believe the Bible, fine. The reason they say that is because they can't get past the fourth word of the Bible. In the beginning God. And if God exists, then something about me is going to have to change because I'm certainly not living a God-like existence, certainly not one that would be pleasing to God, right? I've got to change something about me, and I don't want to change. I like me. Why would I need to change? Well, because God says, Hey, I have a higher standard, Troy. Come follow me. Take up your cross daily and come follow me. That's our need. 
right? So let me, let's see, I don't know how much time do I got. Oh, I got all kind of time. All right, I'll, I'll tell this story quickly. When I, when I was a young sergeant in the Marine Corps, this was in the early 90s, I went to teach at the Air Traffic Control School in Millington, Tennessee. And so a sergeant in the Marine Corps is an E-5, and that is the only rank in the Marine Corps that is sergeant. I know in the Army it does, you know, once you hit E-5 and you're going up to E-8, E-9, everybody still calls you sergeant. Don't do that in the Marine Corps, you'll get punched. Because um, after you're promoted from sergeant, you're a staff sergeant. You're not a sergeant anymore. You're a staff sergeant, and you better say the whole thing, all right? Um, but anyway, I was a sergeant young guy and so I had my class and it was time for them to take one of the first tests and we had our testing department you know down at the end of the hall and you know there was a senior chief petty officer an E8 in the Navy it was the Navy Marine Corps combined school and he ran that testing department and he was just a surly nasty rude hated everybody equally kind of person I don't know why you know, he just, he was just not a nice guy to anybody, to anybody. And so when I told some of my friends, I said, hey, you know, I got to go down here and, and get this test. They're like, oh, hey, watch out for senior chief so-and-so. I'm like, what? They're like, oh, he's a, you know, well, they use some other words. But, you know, he, he's, he's a mean person. Uh, he's not a nice guy. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, so I went down there, bebopped in. I was like, hey, senior chief, I'm Sergeant Mason. You know, I'm here to get test number 14 for class number blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, you should have come in here yesterday. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, hey, I'm sorry, senior chief. That's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do that next time, you know. So, you know, I was just like, I intentionally was mushy nice. Just mushy nice. And that's not easy for a Marine to be, right? <laughs> Um, and so anyway, I got the test and I went back. And then, you know, over the weeks and months and ultimately years, every time I went to him, I was just mushy nice. And for the first couple of weeks and months, he was just as surly as he was ever. But after about two months, I won't say he was friendly but I will say with me and with no one else, because everyone else just returned tit for tat, right? With me and not with anyone else, he was at least neutral. I mean, and that's really the best I could have hoped for. Uh, I'll take neutral over, you know, get out. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take, yeah, all right, here. See you next time. Yeah, good enough. That's what I came for. Proverbs chapter 25. I didn't even know these verses back then, but once I read them some years later, I was like, this reminds me of the senior chief. Man, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And the Lord will reward you. So, you know, 
I don't have to be hateful and mean and hold a grudge in order to punish my enemy. That's what Proverbs says. It says I should go out of my way to help him. And that's his punishment. I'm heaping burning coals on his head because then he has to look back and say, why did I hate this guy so much? Why did I do him wrong? He's a nice guy. But even if he doesn't do that, even if he continues to hate you and to persecute you, we're still commanded. Let me, I won't actually look these up. I'll just tell you what they say. Luke eleven, four. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Romans 12, 17 and 18. I'll paraphrase this one. In so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In my short time on this earth, if there's one thing I've learned, is that it depends on me a lot if I'm going to live at peace with someone. I've got to be the one who offers the hand of friendship. I've got to be the one who offers love when nothing is offered back. You know what Scripture calls that? They call it love, but the word they use is agape. And I know you've all heard that. Right? Agape is a choice. Agape is the love Christ loved us with. Christ loves us not because we love Him. Scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We knew nothing of Christ. I wasn't even born when Christ died for me. But Christ died for me. So... We are to love everyone. Look, sometimes we're the ones who need the forgiveness from somebody else. Right? We've all been wronged. How many of you have never, ever done anybody wrong? Right? Don't raise your hands. Right? Odds are, even if you didn't intend to do it, it's happened. Right? Sometimes the apology is on us. Sometimes there's plenty of blame to go around. That's usually the case. In either circumstance, in any circumstance, whether it's, it's all my fault, it's all their fault, or we share fault, the Scripture is still clear. I am to love and to pray for this person. That's what Christ does for me even when I'm very unlovable. So, Christ has forgiven us, and we need to forgive, even if it's somebody else who wrongs us. If you go to that person and you offer the hand of friendship, you say, I'm sorry it came to all of this, you do that. That's the greatest testimony to Christ you can give so, the pastor 
always leaves you with a challenge every week. So I didn't want you to, you know, not even remember what last week's challenge was, so you're not carrying it out this week. Here's your challenge this week. Examine yourself for who you're still holding a grudge against. And try to make that right. Because that grudge is a wall between you and the grace of God. And He is where you're trying to get. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this day. Thank You for this opportunity, Lord. It is a humbling privilege to stand before your people in this church, Lord, and to proclaim your word. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, God, that we will think of what we've done, who we are, God, what sits in the deepest recesses of our souls, Lord, the things that we Maybe don't even tell our own spouse about God, but you know them full well. God, if that's a wall between me and you, tear it down. Show me how to make it right, God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.